Um, Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Amen. Thank you so much, Catherine. Well, we're back in Matthew this evening, which um, is quite exciting, really. And it's interesting that we are back in Matthew and where we're taking it up is where Matthew actually changes directions a little bit. Uh, So what we're commencing with tonight is actually quite significant. So Jesus has completed his Sermon on the Mount and he's relating his message, uh, what we now call the Gospel message, and relating that to the Old Testament. And he corrected during that Sermon on the Mount many of the misconceptions about... um, the law and these were held and promoted by the religious leaders of the day and their lives were all about these external appearances uh, appearing to be holy and righteous and everything like that and although these guys taught the law they missed the intent of it they missed what the original intent of it was so it always was and always will be about a relationship with God it was not about maintaining or upholding laws um, through our own efforts and we find that Jesus said In Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the point here is very pointed, actually, and is very relevant. It's a shocking word, really, for those who heard Jesus speak it. And it is still shocking for us today, because the truth of what he is saying is, not all of you who say, Lord, Lord, not all of you who call me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there's many who won't actually be there. And then he works through the law of Moses, revealing that true intent I spoke about of God's commandments. He revealed that everyone present at that time and here today are guilty. We're guilty or we fail to keep God's perfect law. And that's true for all of us without exception. He spoke of the danger of hypocrisy in our good deeds, in our prayers, in our acts of religion. And through doing so, revealed that each and every one of us are guilty of hypocrisy at some level. There are many who portray themselves as holy. But in being holy in their own eyes, they've failed the command in Matthew 7.1, to judge not, lest you be judged. We all have a habit of judging others, even though we don't think we do. Have you ever said, I would never do that? It's a judgment call. All of us are fools if we hear Jesus' words and do not do what he says. And yet we're all guilty of that sometime. I wonder if we truly understood the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we did, if we truly understood what was being taught, I don't think it's a passage of scripture you'd feel good about. I don't think we'd feel good about ourselves. I think his words would point out that we're all guilty before a holy God. That it's our actions and our attitudes that actually condemn us. But, and this is the good bit, 
The rest of Matthew is dedicated to reveal to us that the one who preached the message above is a compassionate, merciful saviour. For those who feel that condemnation, that guilt, and come to him for his forgiveness, they have this grace and mercy in their time of need. And at the conclusion of his sermon, Jesus emphasised that true faith is not based on mere words, but it's based on action. It isn't just about hearing the word, it's about actually doing it. Our words must be confirmed by our works, how we live. And Jesus is about to do exactly that. He's come down off this mountain. He's now going to live out what he's spoken about. And we can be sure that regardless of our situation, if we come to him, he will not turn away from us, as we will see as we look at the account of this leper this evening. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the impact it has on me when I read it. I thank you for these four verses, Lord, which it's got so much in it, Lord. And Father, I, I, I feel inadequate to, to speak your message tonight. I, I'm just praying that your words will come through me, that people will hear them and understand them, especially on the eve of what we're facing this week, Lord, that, that we will hear your message, that it will go deep into our hearts and that it will transform us, Lord, into people who trust and believe in you and the power that you have. So Lord, be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're told in the beginning of this account that Jesus came down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. And we know that as he headed up the mountain where he went to speak to his disciples and everything like that, there was a great multitude who were with him. And so he went up there with his followers and he gave this lesson. And then when he comes down, there's this great crowd there again. They're all around him. They're surrounding him, perhaps even pressing in upon him. And in the midst of all of this, suddenly there's this man in need. And when I think of this account, I, I, I can't help but picturing as Jesus comes down the mountain that these people are all gathered around him and they're celebrating. I'd imagine some of them are jumping up and down trying to see this Jesus that they'd heard about. And there's just all this excitement that is going on and, and it's noisy. They're crying out. They're crying out to each other. And then in the midst of this, there's at first this disturbance. There's something that's happening. There's this wave that's moving through the people. And they don't initially know what's actually going on. But then all that noise slowly turns to silence as more and more people become aware of this man. These people, they part in fear, just like Moses part of the Red Sea. Some of them are afraid. Some of them are shocked. Some of them are revolted. Some of them are judging. But some are also parting the way in obedience to the law, as this man, this man in need, cries out, unclean, unclean, unclean. They all fell back. One man stands firm. And his name's Jesus. And this man sees Jesus totally unmoved. Everyone else has fallen back a substantial distance. They want nothing to do with him. It's him and Jesus. And it's this one man, a man with leprosy. Leprosy is a very different disease in biblical times to what we understand it to be today. 
And it wouldn't be out of line to say that leprosy in that day and age was actually a death sentence. And so this is a dead man walking. When we read Luke's account, it's a little more illustrative than what we've actually got here in Matthew. And Luke actually says that this was a man full of leprosy. This wasn't partway, this was the full-blown deal. This was a man who obviously had leprosy. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that the first detailed healing recorded in Matthew here is of a man in a totally helpless situation. Not only is he unable to help himself, but there is no one else who can help him either. There's no medical help available to him in that day. There's no cure. There's not even a treatment to ease the suffering that he's facing. And when we think about leprosy, there's this obvious physical issue. Uh, It begins with pain in certain parts of the body, and that's followed by numbness. That progresses through thickening of the skin in spots, and they become sores, and then they begin to weep and ultimately become ulcers. Eyes and ears swell. The sores constantly weep pus. Fingers and toes drop off. Hair turns white. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. The voice becomes hoarse and there's this odour this terrible smell incredibly unpleasant and there's the social issue as well that all those with leprosy are outcasts they're not permitted to stay in the towns or the cities they're kicked out and uh, they have to reside outside of the city walls and when encountering anyone, it doesn't matter who they are, they're to cry out, unclean, 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 so people can keep their distance. And as they do that, they're to hold a cloth over their mouths so they don't spread the leprosy um, to others through aerosols. So they have no family. They have no friends. They're unable to pra- practice their religion because they can't go to the temple. For all intents and purposes... They're dead men and women walking. There's no hope. And they haven't been touched by anyone for an incredible period of time unless they've got friends who are lepers with them. They're the only ones who've touched them. It's one of these, this man who comes to Jesus. And that in itself is incredible. Here is a man who's been cast out of society, has no rights, no status, No way of improving his position. And we don't know how he arrived at the position he was at, but perhaps he heard a little about Jesus. And we have recorded in Matthew 4.24 that Jesus healed all kinds of diseases among the people. So perhaps he'd heard about Jesus through some of those people, through some of those accounts. And we don't know for sure, but this man has such confidence in Jesus that he's willing to take a risk. He approaches Jesus regardless of the shame, the humiliation, the public rejection that is presently his and that would be heaped upon him as he approaches Jesus. But his focus is on Jesus alone. He doesn't care about those around him. He doesn't care about what they say. He doesn't care about what they think. And he's arrived at a point in his life where there is nothing that is more important than coming to Jesus because he sees Jesus as his only hope. And he comes to Jesus reverently. Everyone is backed off. It's the leper and Jesus. And the leper kneels before Jesus. Jesus and the leper are surrounded by so many people and this guy forgets them. But he bows to Jesus. And he says, 
Lord, if you will. If you will. The word Lord here is the one that's used for a master, perhaps an earthly master. But it's obvious by this man's actions that he thinks so much more of Jesus than that just he's a man in authority. He's come boldly to Jesus. He's reverently worshipping him. He's acknowledging his power, but he comes humbly. He doesn't make any demands. He does hope. But he leaves the matter of his healing to Jesus. It's Jesus' will and purpose. And so he says, Lord, if you will. It's not up to him. It's up to Jesus. And so he respects Jesus. And he doesn't demand the healing. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This isn't just physical or spiritual or ceremonial or social. It's everything together. He depends on Jesus and Jesus alone. That, my friends, is incredible faith. This man knew how to approach Jesus. And anyone who approaches Jesus in the same way will find that Jesus is willing to respond. There's this great crowd who have parted and fallen back as this man approached. And there's only the two of them in the circle, Jesus and the leper. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. Lepers are untouchable. The crowds are already shocked, disgusted and perhaps even angry that the leper would consider even approaching them as they've been around Jesus. But that fades into insignificance as they look at Jesus and they see Jesus, you know, reaching his hand out only moments before they were celebrating with him. And this guy is going to touch a leper? How is this even possible? If Jesus touches this leper, he becomes unclean. He's got this whole ceremony he's got to go through. He's got a sacrifice he's got to make in order to be declared clean again. Leviticus 5.3 tells us that anyone who touches someone unclean will themselves become unclean. And I don't think we realise the seriousness of this action that Jesus is taking. Why did Jesus touch him? He didn't need to. He could have merely said, be healed, and the man would have been healed. Jesus didn't need to touch this man. And in fact, the passage of scripture we're going to look at next week is about the centurion servant who Jesus heals from a great distance just by saying, it will be the way you've asked it to be. So Jesus can actually heal without touching this man. But there's a reason. And it's not totally clear, but I believe we're going to be, we are being told that it doesn't matter how great our need, how lost our cause, how hopeless our situation, if we come to Jesus humbly, we will be met by a saviour who loves us greatly, who's willing to do all it takes to show that love. And he'll receive us with love, grace and compassion. Jesus says, I will be clean. Originally, that's only two words in the original text. The first word says, the first word, sorry, that Jesus says is one that the leper was hoping to hear. I am willing. I'll do it. And the second is a command, be clean. And Jesus' first word expresses his willingness to meet the man's needs. And the second word expresses his authority and his power. He's more than able to do the very thing that he's willing to do. Because he is our all-powerful saviour. 
And we need to realise, as this leper did, that we are not called to approach someone who's not up to the task. Our saviour is all-powerful. When Jesus reached out and touched this man, immediately, immediately, the leprosy left him. The man was clean. No gradual process. No beginning to get better. He's restored to full health immediately. And again, we gloss over that. We don't understand what that would look like. We don't understand what that would mean. His white hair would suddenly regain its colour. His eyebrows and his eyelashes will be back. The deformities in his face, where his face would have just been swollen up, would reduce and he would look like a man again. His sores would become smooth skin all over his body. His fingers and his toes would reappear. This is incredible. And it happened before these very eyes. Jesus said, I am willing and touches this man. Be clean. And he is. He's changed in the twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine how the crowds responded? There's no record of how they reacted to this. But it's incredible. And then Jesus gives this man a direction. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest. And offer the the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. It's an interesting direction, isn't it? But I believe first and foremost, Jesus wanted both himself and the leper who'd been healed to follow the law given to Moses. This is God's law. If someone with leprosy is healed, they are to present themselves to the temple to be examined by the priest. If the priest finds the person healed, then there is a cleansing ritual that they've got to go through. They must go through it. And once this is completed, the person can be restored to their former social life. Secondly, I believe Jesus uh, told this man to do it because Jesus was concerned for him. If he didn't go and get the tick by the priest, there's no confirmation he's been healed. I mean, obviously, visually, he's been healed, but within society, he hasn't received that tick. And he has to be seen to act in obedience to the law as well. And so if he goes to the priest and he gets that, there'll be no questions about his healing. There'll be no questions about his position in in the uh, community at that time. And there'll be no doubt about his miraculous healing. There may be another reason too. And uh, this is one that uh, is interesting to think about. Oh, there's two more, sorry. The one that Jesus does say, it's commanded for a proof to them, a proof to the priests. So Jesus was using this man's miraculous healing as a witness to the priests themselves. And we know that these guys um, questioned who Jesus really was. And leprosy was considered a death sentence, as I mentioned before. So I don't think there would have been too many people who came to him and said, hey, I've been healed of leprosy, can you just check me over and make sure that's okay? And so as this guy comes to the priests and the religious leaders and says exactly that, the priest would have to admit something truly outstanding has occurred. We haven't seen this before. This is something that is miraculous. And if their hearts were soft enough, they would be open to accepting that Jesus just could be the promised Messiah. We, don't, again, don't know how the priest reacted or interacted. But I believe there's another reason, too, that Jesus actually got this man to go and do this, where Jesus says, see that you say nothing to anyone. And it's for Jesus to protect his primary ministry. Jesus wasn't sent into the world to heal people. He did it, 
He could do it. And there's many other things that Jesus did, many other miracles. He can and he did do it. But we're told in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's Jesus' primary ministry. That's what he's here for. Jesus could have spent his entire time on earth healing the sick. But he's not here for that. And I believe that Mark's account of this same um, story actually gives part of the reason for Jesus telling this man not to speak to others. Because this man went out, he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. I find it interesting, this man was told not to tell anyone about Jesus miraculously healing him. But it would seem that he couldn't contain himself and I think that would be me too. I'd sort of be whispering to a few people and then ultimately I'd have to tell everyone. I'd be so overwhelmed with the joy of it, the restoration, the... It's beyond words. He had been healed. He had this death sentence transformed into life. Why wouldn't he tell others? Jesus says, don't say it. And the man just couldn't help himself, but told everyone. Jesus tells us to tell everyone about him and we just don't seem to be able to do it. We stay silent. I think that's pretty sad. We make every excuse we can to not say anything. I think in this passage, there's a lot more going on than we can actually discuss this evening. And so hopefully I can summarise and relate quite a bit in a very short time. To understand all that is happening, we need to relate this back to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was defining his relationship to the law. And the law could not save men. It could only condemn them. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law was able to define sickness and health, but it was incapable of healing. And Jesus came. And he was not only capable of healing, he was also capable of forgiving sin. And the story of the leper shows us a man who, because of his condition, was not only alienated from other people, but he was separated from God. He couldn't come into the temple area. He couldn't worship God as he is commanded that he should. He was unable to participate in all the temple sacrifices or the temple worship. And so he was separated from God. And then Jesus comes and he heals this man. He removes this barrier between him and God. And the first thing that he does is go back to the temple so that the priest can look upon him and say, yeah, he's healed. But then he'd be able to participate in all that occurs in the temple. But this is what Jesus does. His whole purpose in coming to earth was to remove the barriers between God and man, to remove the barriers between God and us. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we enter into a relationship with him, and not just with him, but with his Heavenly Father and with the Holy Spirit as well. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's incredible. Jesus has removed all barriers. But we have a habit of rebuilding them, yeah? We put walls between us and God because of our actions and our attitudes. I want you to think about the leper again there are all those barriers all those reasons why he should not approach jesus and it would have been hard to do what he did it would have been embarrassing it would have been humbling and yet 
He didn't allow that to stop him. He was willing to risk the humiliation, the embarrassment, the the ridicule of others for a much greater prize. He put these things aside which would normally hinder him and he boldly approached Jesus. And we're told to do the same. We're told to come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What's your need tonight? Between you and God, what do you need? Are you suffering physically? Do you have an illness that hinders you? Are you hurting from a broken relationship? Are you mourning the loss of a loved one? Are you wondering why you're even here? Do you have sin in your life that you're struggling to have victory over? Are you struggling in your relationship with Jesus? Knowing it should be more than what it is, but not knowing how to change it, not knowing how to improve it, not knowing how to move forward. There's some who may not even know Jesus, may not even understand what I'm talking about. And if I was to ask the question, if you were to die tonight, if you were to die tonight, would you be going to heaven? Could you answer without a doubt? I believe we're being called as a people, to put aside everything that holds us back. And come to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that when we humble ourselves, Jesus will hear us. We should come like the leper, poor in spirit, Realising his only hope was in Jesus. Nothing and no one else. We should come mourning because of our helpless position. We should come meekly, making no demands on Jesus, but worshipping him for who he is, trusting his will, and hungering and longing for more and more of him and to be filled by him through Holy Spirit. Whatever you're facing tonight, let's bow before him. Put your problem into this verse. Lord, if you will, you can heal me. Lord, if you will, you can take this pain away. Lord, if you will, you can restore my relationships. Lord, if you will, you can make yourself known to me. Lord, if you will, I will follow you the rest of my life. Let's pray. Father God,
thank you for the power of your word. It challenges me so much, Lord. And I pray it's challenged others tonight. But Lord, my prayer is that we won't just leave tonight, that we'll realise we've got to do work with you and that we will be found worshipping you and asking you if you're willing to help us in whatever area it is that we need, Lord. And we'll pray believing that you'll respond. So Lord, minister to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name.